Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or kid of the goats, as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass which he has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, and wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner, so that the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. But if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he who sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. Then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar, according to the offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priests as a grain offering. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage that you have us in. We thank you for the lessons that you have been teaching us through Leviticus. We pray that you will help us to understand these pictures, help us to understand what these offerings mean. We pray that you will help us to worship you as we ought to worship you. And we pray that you will help us to um, to hear your word and to apply it to our lives. Amen. or when you allow him to take an oath that he doesn't fulfill and you don't tell it. Or where you've touched an unclean thing like the carcass of an unclean animal or the carcass of a clean animal or the issue of man and you don't realize it. So you don't deal with it in the typical manner to wash. Instead, you don't even, you're unaware of it. Or that you speak thoughtlessly, that you you swear that you'll do something, whether good or evil, and you haven't thought about your words before you say them. That requires a trespass offering. But we, again, we shouldn't think that those are the only times that a trespass offering is required. But these are examples of times where a trespass offering is required. Now, in today's passage, we'll see the process, the means that you are actually to go through to make that trespass offering. And as, as you read this passage, one of the confusing things about it is that it talks about trespass offerings, but then it says 
that the lamb is a sin offering and the, the grain is a sin offering and the, the, the pigeons that you sacrifice, that one of them is a sin offering. So is it a trespass offering is a, or is it a sin offering? And I think that, that it's important to recognize that, that God isn't describing things that are unique. He's not going, well, here's this, this category, here's this silo, this is a sin offering. And there's this separate thing that's a trespass offering. They're not unique because in the end, they're all pointing back to Christ. Christ was one offering. There aren't these, all these distinct offerings. Christ didn't have to go to the cross to be a burnt offering and then go to the cross to be a sin offering and then go to the cross to be a grain offering and then go to the cross to be a trespass offering. They're all tied back to the same offering. They all tie back to Christ. And so it uses this language, and it's really easy for us to want to take this language and create these hard categories. But in this, this trespass offering, sometimes it's a burnt offering, sometimes it's a grain offering, sometimes it's a sin offering. Actually, they're all listed as sin offerings. And so it's important for us to recognize what God is saying here. Not that we should be thinking about these things as, as each one being distinct and unique. But these are the offerings that are required. These are the different aspects of offerings that are required. So you can have a grain offering that's a sin offering that's really a trespass offering. Because they're not all distinct and unique. They're all tied together. They're all pointing back to the same offering, which is, which is Christ. So it means that these means are different. The way you do these things are different, but the, the picture is still the same. Jesus Christ came so that the world could be cleansed of sin, that the works of Satan could be destroyed. So while what triggers the need for the offering, in one case, coming to the realization that your deeds for both he's the offering that provides for justification he's the offering that provides for sanctification he didn't just go to the cross and die so that we could have eternal life he went to the cross and died so that the power of sin in our lives could be broken that we could turn from sin he gives us life and then in that life he convicts us of our sin so that so that we turn from that sin through the same sacrifice that we're made alive in Christ, that he forgives us our sins and that he cleanses us and makes atonement for sins in particular. Because the trespass offering is about being forgiven of particular sins, while the sin offering is about being forgiven, being reconciled with the Father. But in both cases, 
The same sacrifice is needed because we can't give a sacrifice that will ever pay for our sins. We need the sacrifice of Christ. So verse 6. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. So he'll bring his, he shall bring his trespass offering. We talked about this some last week. The he in this sentence really means anyone. It can be a male, it can be a female, it can be an adult, it can be somebody who's elderly, it can be a child. Anyone can bring this offering. This offering is about making atonement. Atonement for specific kinds of sins, not sins that, that mean that you're not saved. But, but trespass offerings, things that are, that trespass word there means to find fault. It means to be guilty. It is when you're at fault. The term for sin offering seems somewhat stronger. It means offense. It's where God is offended by you. But we shouldn't think that there is any sin that we do that is not offended to, offensive to God. But there are sins that a son never does because his father won't let him. And there are sins that a stranger does. So as we think of the sin offering being a picture of salvation, of, of justification, we should recognize that the trespass offering still is separating us from God. It's still a fault that God sees in us. It is still something that requires atonement. So he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin. Either way, it is to the Lord that the offering has to be made. Yes, when we sin, we can frequently sin against other people. But the issue is not that we sin against other people. The issue is, is that we sin against the living God. We sin against our Creator. He's the one that we need to make atonement with. Yes, should we pay restitution? Yes, we should try to resolve the sin. We should try to vindicate our name. We should try to clear our name like it says in Second Corinthians 7. But in the midst of that, we should realize the greatest offense was not towards the person we offended, but towards the God who we offended. The one who has the right to command us to be perfect. The one who has the, the right and the ability to hold us to a perfect standard. He is the one that we need to be reconciled with. He is the one that we need to be atoned, that we need atonement for. So when we think about sin, we should think, just like David says, that I've sinned against you alone. doesn't mean that you ignored the way that you've affected other people, but you put it into perspective. The greatest sin is that we sinned against our Creator. So to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed, this is not just about someone catching him. This seems to be... Yeah, the specific situation seems to be where the initiative is coming from the person who's offering the sin. They see that they committed the sin. It's not that somebody's forcing them to do it. The compulsion comes from them to say, I need to be reconciled to God. I need to to have my sin be forgiven. And they do a female from the flock. As we've been going through these offerings... It seems to me that the males typically represent the work of Christ and the females represent the work of man. This is not like we can be reconciled to God through our work. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that 
that the trespass offering, it does require real work. You really have to turn from your sin. You really have to stop doing it. You really have to, to clear your name. You have to pay restitution if that's the right thing to do. You actually have to do work related to it. So yes, all that work is facilitated by the Holy Spirit. But we shouldn't ignore our part of the work. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the picture of the trespass offering. It's that we're doing the things that we should to be cleansed of sin. Not denying that God is the first cause of repentance. He's the one who justifies us. And then He's the one who through His Spirit works in us to cause us to do the works fitting of repentance. But it doesn't mean that we don't have to do the work. We have to do the work to repent. We have to do the work to protect ourselves from sinning. So it would take a female from the flock, either a lamb, which here the word that's translated lamb is different than like the word for the Passover where that's a young animal of the flock. So that could be a sheep or a kid. Here the word is very specifically, basically a young you, a young female sheep. And so it's a a feminine of the word sheep. Or a kid of the goats. And here you can also bring a goat. The, the, The term for goat is the feminine form of the word for goat. That word for goat literally means shaggy, so it's talking about an older goat, and this is, this is the feminine version of this. So this isn't like a young goat necessarily. This would be a goat that's full grown enough so that it has wool. So you can either bring a member of the sheep flock or the flock of goats, and they offer it as a sin offering. So even though it's for a trespass, it's offered as a sin offering. So when you think about that, it means that everybody's outside. You know what you're doing. At the priest, who you have to confess to him why you're doing it. He knows why you're doing it. But anybody that just wanders by, they can't tell the difference between the sacrifice that's a sin offering and the sacrifice that's a trespass offering. Because you do the same thing. I think that's actually an important concept there. You know, because the trespass offering, it's made as a sin offering. I think I've I've had this conversation with a lot of people that they go, oh, I don't know if I'm saved. And the answer is, if you're saved, repent of your sin. If you're not saved, repent of your sin. The thing that you have to do is the same in both cases. The people who lack assurance of salvation, they go, I'm not really sure that I'm saved. Well, the answer is repent of your sin. And if you are saved, you still repent of your sin. The offering's the same. This is a picture of offering that everybody has a responsibility to do. It all looks the same. Repentance looks the same whether you're a believer or whether you're coming to salvation. Now, there's other things that we repent of that we don't go, oh, yeah, that clearly means I wasn't saved before. But the big things, the things that you'd offer a lamb for, It's the same offering as the sin offering. And so I think a lot of people get caught up going, oh, I don't have assurance of salvation. Well, the answer is repent. The answer isn't figure out where your heart is. The answer is walk in obedience to God. 
And then God will show you where your heart is. Because if you're a slave of sin, you won't be able to continue to do it. And if you were already saved, or even if that is your salvation, it's not about what day you were saved. It's about are you saved now? Are you walking in righteousness now? Are you obeying God now? It's about are you repenting now? Not looking back, but looking forward. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say, look back and see how God has worked. He's saying, look now and see how God is working in your life. So you can have somebody who thinks that they're just repenting of a sin that they were struggling with. And the reality is God is looking at it and saying, this is when I'm causing the person to be born again. And somebody else can... Be going, oh, I know I'm not saved. And God's looking at him saying, you're saved. This is just repenting of sin. This is sanctification. That's not our issue. Our issue is, are we turning from our sin? So as a sin offering, he brings them to the priest. So the priest, as you remember from a couple weeks ago when we talked about the sin offering, when the ruler or the common person made an offering, the priest would take some of the blood from the offering and they would put the blood on the horns of the altar, the picture of having the power to overcome the judgment of the burnt offering. And so the priest had to be involved because it was not just the person turning from his sin, but it was, it was the priest, it was the work of Christ because he was the sacrifice, because he sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. That's why the person had the power to repent of their sin. It's because Christ is the high priest. So it's involved by, by being the blood sacrifice. But for it to be effective, it has to be related to the priest. It can't just be, I'm giving up this, I'm sacrificing this thing. It has to be about God. It has to be towards God. It has to be through, through the representative of Christ, the high priest. It's because of his being the sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him. Again, these... These sins that we would consider relatively minor, even when we're saved, we have to recognize that they create a division with God, that your sin creates a division with God that has to be, has to be atoned for if you haven't held somebody accountable to an oath that you know they entered into. If you've made thoughtless commitments, these things that we would consider relatively minor, they still create a separation from God that needs to be dealt with. We still need to be reconciled because of those sins. It still divides us from the Father. It's not like that you stop being a son because your children, when they disobey, you don't go, well, that's not my child anymore. You may want to, but you don't go, that's not my child anymore. Instead, but it does create a real separation. And that real separation needs to be dealt with with God. Just like in your house, if your child is at odds with you, they don't stop being a child, but it means you need to deal with it. You don't just let it keep going. And God says, you need to deal with your sin because it creates a separation from me. Because this is concerning his sin. We need to recognize how our sin creates a separation from God. And it doesn't mean it's permanent, doesn't mean, but it means that, that we are not holy and we need to mature, we need to grow up, we need to repent of our sins, we need to turn from them. 
So we need to recognize as we talk about the trespass offering that Christians have an ongoing responsibility to repent of their sins. We always, we fall short of the glory of God. And so that's always creating a separation between us and the Father. And Jesus Christ paid for that, but we're to take it seriously by doing the work, the work of repentance, the work of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, the Second London Baptist Confession says that you need to repent of particular sins particularly. That's the picture of the trespass offering. Is not a general recognition, I'm a sinner and I need to be born again. I need to be reconciled to the Father. I need a Savior. But that I've sinned against a holy and perfect God and I need to deal with that sin. That's the picture of the trespass offering. Repenting of particular sins particularly. Verses 7 through 10. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. So if he's not able, with the regular sin offering, there is no, well, you can just bring birds. It's you have to bring a kid of the goats. You have to bring a lamb. You can't just bring whatever you want to bring. But for a trespass offering, the trespass can be a lot more minor. And there might be that all you can bring is something more minor because it's not about, it's not about you being a sacrifice. It's not about you dying to yourself. It's about you being cleansed because you already died to yourself. So there you were required to offer a lamb of the sheep or of the goats. The picture of justification is that we have to die to ourselves and then we have to rise up and follow after God. But that's not the picture of the trespass offering. The picture of the trespass offering, it's still a sacrifice to God. It's still about reconciliation, but it's about repenting of every sin, not coming to Christ, not being born again, but dealing with the sin that is still in your life so the word able really means to lay a hand on. So if you can't get a hold of a sheep or a lamb, if you're not able to bring one to sacrifice, if you look at the scope of the offerings that would be required, every time that you transgressed against God, every time that, that you didn't deal with your uncleanness, it's not possible to bring an animal each time. So God gives another way that was not available for the sin offering. So he brings the lamb, he shall bring it to the Lord. Again, the offering is still made to the Lord. It's not about man, it's about God. It's not about the world. It's not about dealing with our trespasses with the world. Even though we should do that, the primary sin is we have sinned against God whenever we sin. And we, when we repent, we have to come to God for forgiveness. The world can't forgive you. Maybe the person who you wronged will say, yeah, I forgive you. That doesn't resolve the problem because the main problem is with God. 
to bring a lamb for his trespass. So it always starts by recognizing your trespass, by recognizing your sin, by having realizing that you've fallen short of what God commands for you, and accepting that you've committed it, owning your transgression, owning how you have violated the commandments of God. You can't repent of things just because somebody else tells you that you sinned. You have to repent of things because you recognize you sinned, because you recognize that you violated what God said. We can't repent of them unless we acknowledge, unless we confess that we have done that thing, that we understand how we have erred. That's how we're able to to repent of the sin. So when you sin and you bring it, then you bring two turtle doves, right? And a lamb is a major sacrifice. Two, two turtle doves is not. It's more like what Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty nine: Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. This is like on a very different scale than the picture of a, of a lamb. A lamb is about the ongoing production of your household. The sparrows is something that maybe you can just go out in the field and catch. The two are very different. Or two young pigeons. The, the young pigeons here, that word is the same word that's used with Noah in the ark when he first sends out the raven, and then he sends out the dove. That's the same word that's used here, so it's the same kind of bird. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's likely that it was a kind of bird that people would raise, just like now they raise pigeons. This is probably a bird that was uh, frequently a domesticated bird. So they would bring one as a sin offering. You had to bring two because they were representing two different kinds of offering. It's important to recognize that with the lamb, there is a picture of the sin offering and the burnt offering when somebody brought a lamb to offer in chapter 4. Because the burnt offering, you would cut out the entrails and you would take the fat and the kidneys and, and a portion of the liver and you would burn that as a burnt offering. So the lamb was big enough that it could be both the sin offering and the burnt offering. It's not like there wasn't a burnt offering part of the lamb. With the birds, they're small enough that you have the sin offering and the burnt offering. They need to be two different birds. They can't be the same bird because it's too small. So when you come and offer... The lamb, you're offering part as a sin offering and you're offering the entrails as a, as a burnt offering. Here you bring two birds. One is a sin offering and one is a, <coughs> one is a burnt offering. So the burnt offering is to remind you why your sin offering is acceptable. It's acceptable because Jesus Christ was the burnt offering. It's acceptable because of the sacrifice of Christ. So he brings those two birds and he shall bring them to the priest. The person making the sacrifice, they have to bring the birds. Forgiveness of sin doesn't come if someone forces you. Again, it comes, you have to say, I want to be cleansed of this sin. I want to repent of this sin. I need to choose to bring the offering. So they bring it to the priest who shall offer it. The priest is the one that kills the bird. In the case of the where you're bringing a bigger animal, the person who's bringing it has to kill it. But in this case, the priest is killing it. Just as the case for the burnt offering. 
And that which is for the sin offering is, is offered first. That's a very different order, right? When you think of the, the peace offerings and you think of the grain offering, what it starts with is you build the fire with the burnt offering or you lay out the wood and you put, the, put coals from the previous, from the ongoing burnt offering. You put that on the fire and then you put the, the meat for the burnt offering on top of that. And then once that's burning, then you would put your peace offering and your grain offering. So it's always the burnt offerings first and all the other offerings are based on that. But here, you start with the sin offering and you don't start with the burnt offering. You start with the sin offering. And I think that the picture here is it's the process of forgiveness of sin. Christ doesn't need to keep being sacrificed for us to have forgiveness of sin. Those who have saved, they've, they have access to the throne of grace. They have access to the Father. We can repent of our sin. We don't need to go, oh, I need, I need a sacrifice. I need something special. We already have access. We have access to be forgiven our trespasses. That's what Christ did when he was our sin offering, when he was our burn offering. He gave us access so that we can repent of our sins. The power of sin is broken in our lives. We don't need to keep going back and going, well, we need, to, we need to be saved again. right? This is like the Wesleyan view. John Wesley said, if you're ever saved, and this is, this is the thought through Arminian view, right? Because you know, there's the five points of Calvinism. Those are consistent. If you take the other side and you come consistent, you get the five points of Arminianism. And the, five, the heart of the five points of Arminianism is you are not saved if you sin, because you've chosen to abandon God just like you chose to find God. So therefore, you have to be saved every time you sin. There is no such thing as a trespass offering in Arminianism. There are only sin offerings. Because as soon as you sin, you have now left God and you have to return to Him. So you have to constantly be saved. But here the picture is you don't have to constantly be saved. The burnt offering that Christ did, you were saved. And now you just do the sin offering because you have to repent of your sin, but you're saved once. And so, yes, you do the burnt offering as a a memorial to remember how you were saved because you were saved through Christ. But it is this constant picture of having to be justified over and over and over again, which is the Arminian view. And most Arminians don't realize that, but if you, get, if you think it through to be consistent, you are forced in the position that the only way you can be saved is if you're sinless at the point that you die. Because if you sin, right, this is, this is Wesley's view, this is, this is um, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy, but this is, this is what thought-out Arminianism leads you to, is there is no such thing as a trespass offering. But there is. There is in the Bible, there is in the, the, the scheme of offerings that God set up to be a picture of the gospel. So the sin offering is first because we already have access to repent. The power of sin's broken in your life. It doesn't mean that you don't sin. It means it's broken in your life so you can repent if you're saved. So it would ring off its head from its neck. And offering the sacrifice, you know, when we think of ring off its head... I don't think that's a great translation because I think we would all think of that as you're separating the head from the bird. And this doesn't mean you're separating the head from the bird. The ring means to crack, to break. So you break its neck. 
but shall not divide it completely. It was still to be connected after breaking the neck, and then they would tear out the throat of the bird so that they could get access to the blood. And then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering. Again, this is a blood offering. Blood is being shed here, even though it's just the blood of a bird. And blood offerings, the sin offering, it's about having access into the Holy of Holies. So for the anointed priest, the blood gets taken to the Holy of Holies. But here it's, it's the picture of being reminded of the covenant, not entering into the covenant. <coughs> so the blood was shed to remember the seriousness of sin, even the picture of sin, which is caused by touching the carcass of an unclean animal and not realizing it. So it was sprinkled on the side of the altar. So the blood was sprinkled, not like, not like around the altar like it was with the burnt offering where you make a circle that's the picture that you've been separated from the judgment of God. It's not like sprinkled at the veil like you do with the sin offering where the veil is it's sprinkled there to say covenantally you have access to the Holy of Holies. Now you have the promise through it being sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have the promise of eternal life. Here it's sprinkled on the side of the altar. And sprinkling of the blood usually has to do with covenants. Even as we, we read in, in Hebrews 9 this morning or recited in Hebrews 9 about how when the first covenant was entered into, they had to sprinkle blood. So when you think of the sprinkling of the blood on the side of the altar, it's not about separating you from that judgment. But I do think it is about reminding you of the covenant, that you are separated from that judgment. When you take that, that sacrifice of that, that bird and you take its blood and you sprinkle it on the side of the altar, you're acknowledging it is by the covenant that you've been separated So it's just sprinkling the blood on the side. So it's not, it's not a picture of being separated. I think it's a picture of being reminded. Every time we repent of sin, we should be reminded that it is through Christ causing us to be born again that we can have separation. Separation from the judgment of hell. Then the rest of the blood, small birds don't have that much blood, but the sprinkling is just a symbolic reminder. The pouring out of the rest of the blood is also a reminder. It's a reminder that death is the result of sin. That's what causes the blood to be poured out. So it's all to be drained out. Now the, the priests, I think, do keep the sin offering bird to eat. And so the blood would need to be drained out so that they could eat it because it's obviously a sin to eat blood since life is in the blood. But that picturing it, pouring it out, that's pouring out the life of the animal. It's the picture of this is the result of sin. Death is the result of sin. Even the death of, of a pigeon is the result of sin. And it requires death to pay for sin. So you pour out at the base of the altar. Remember that altar, you're going to have all this blood from all these animals who could pour it out on the base. And it's just this picture. This is what the wrath of God looks like. There is, there is death throughout the world. People die all the time. And they die all the time because of the consequences of sin. Death is because of sin. And we're supposed to be reminded of that. So it is a sin offering. Again, the category of sin offering, <coughs> when you look at chapter 4, it's about pointing to justification, to initial salvation.
but that doesn't allow a bird to be offered. But God is still saying, this is a sin offering. <coughs> That's because a sin offering is about an offense towards God, and this is about dealing with an offense towards God. They have to be dealt with. Even if you're a son, you have to deal with your offenses towards God. So then he shall offer the second again. This is the reverse order. The burnt offering did facilitate that sin offering. Because without the sacrifice of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sin. I wonder if in this case, if it's a picture that it's not only those who have their sins eternally forgiven that can repent of sin. People can repent of particular sins. Not because they receive Jesus Christ as their substitutionary atonement. Not because they have Christ as their burnt offering. But Jesus Christ died for the world to destroy the works of Satan. And he does that in the lives of unbelievers too. It's really easy to look back and just see how much the Bible has transformed the world. And there's a sense that this is because people are convicted of their sins and they do the trespass offering even though they're not a son. Even though they haven't seen it as a, as a <coughs> they haven't seen it as a, a sin offering. They haven't been born again, but they still turn from their sin. They're still convicted of their sin. This is the effect of Jesus Christ coming as a burnt offering. It has more than an effect just on believers. It also has an effect on unbelievers. It's why the world can turn from sin. It's why there isn't cannibalism around like there used to be. So I'll offer the second as a burnt offering. The second bird was a sacrifice that would be burned to remind us of what is undergirding all repentance from sin. It's the work of Christ. It's Christ coming and dying on the cross. That's why we can repent of sin. Then they do it according to the prescribed manner. In chapter 1, for burnt offering, you could offer a bird, so it gives very detailed, detailed instructions there of how to offer a bird as a burnt offering. And so even though this is a trespass offering, you offer it like you offer a burnt offering. So it's a burnt offering that's a trespass offering. Again, these aren't silos that are separate and distinct. All these things are tied together, and all these pictures are tied together. So you'd remove the crop, you'd pour it out, you'd put its ashes with the ashes of the, or you'd put the crop where you put the ashes. All those things from chapter 1, when they do it as a trespass offering, they do the same thing. And so the priest shall make atonement. Again, this is about reconciliation to God. Not that you're necessarily being reconciled generally, but God gives forgiveness for specific sins to people too, even unbelievers, where he says, I'm not going to hold that sin against them. So in terms of separation, this you know, making atonement, it's about it's about being reconciled for that. And so the priest makes an atonement as a picture of what Christ does. The sacrifice of Christ is for some it's just right, it, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died for all men and especially for those who believe. And there is a sense that God breaks the power of sin and unbelievers too. And we shouldn't limit Christ's sacrifice to make it just for those who believed. He came to destroy the works of Satan, which goes a lot further than just in the lives of believers. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf. 
The priest works the reconciliation for the sake of the person making the sacrifice. The sacrifice is made through the priest as a picture of the turning aside from sin and being made acceptable, not, not fully acceptable, but that aspect for God not to hold you accountable to that aspect. That's also because of the sacrifice of Christ. So he does it on his behalf for the sin which he has committed. This is about dealing with sins that are committed, that you recognize they're committed, that they're cleansed, that you're, you're reconciled. You turn from that sin, and it shall be forgiven him. doesn't mean that he won't be held in judgment for other sins. The sin offering is about access to the holy of holies. The trespass offering is not. The trespass offering is about being forgiven of particular sins particularly. Verses 11 through 13. <coughs> but if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he whose sin shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. Then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him for his sin which he committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priest's as a grain offering. So again, if he's not able, if he doesn't, if he can't lay his hand on it, if he can't find a, a lamb, if he doesn't have a lamb to sacrifice, if he doesn't have, have the birds to sacrifice, then he can sacrifice grain. You know, the picture of the, the lamb is the picture of us dying to ourselves. And so the sin offering required that. But the trespass offering, it can, it can get down to that you offer flour. So if you're not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, even if you don't, they're significantly less valuable than a lamb, but you can still just bring an ephah of flour. So then, or a tenth of an ephah of flour. So then he who sinned, in that case, it's still, it's still God facilitating, dealing with the sin, dealing with the trespass, dealing with the offense towards him. So he'll bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah. So a tenth of an ephah is a little bit less than a gallon. It's about three and a half liters. So that's kind of the amount of... of that's the, the amount of flour that they would bring. And it's a fine flour. So we need to think about this again. So the grain offering was about the word of God. So I don't think when you have this grain offering that all of a sudden you go, wait, it's not about the word of God. I think it's still about the word of God. So what's the picture here? The picture here, I think, is that that you still... the how much the word of God convicts the world of sin. It's still that through the word of God that people are able to see what their sin is. They still come and they, they, they sacrifice the word of God effectively, that, that this is what's driving them to recognize that they need to be cleansed of their sin. And I don't mean salvation. I mean that they say, this is, this, I shouldn't have stolen that. I shouldn't have lied. I'm not saying that they go, I'm now reconciled with God the Father. I'm saying the Word of God has an effect on even on unbelievers. And so repentance, you know, it's associated with the grain offering. It's associated with studying God's Word. It's associated with, with, with His Word. 
And so you offered a, a fine flour as a sin offering. And for a sin offering, you're not allowed to bring fine flour for a sin offering. A sin offering is defined. But God's word still clears up offenses. Because that's the picture of it being a sin offering. It means that there's an offense against God, that God's word, that it, God uses his word to convict somebody of their sin, and they turn from their sin, and God forgives them their sin, even though he may not save them. He can still forgive them of particular sins particularly. So this is called, and again, the picture of that these offerings, they aren't that distinct, right? Because this is a trespass offering. This is a sin offering. This is a grain offering. In this passage, it uses all three of those terms for the same offering. So they aren't this great distinction. It's that they're, you know, that, that these things are all related to us repenting from sin. about God forgiving a sin that was offensive to him, even if the children, even if his children were not offensive to him, he still knows our frame, he still knows that we're just dust, and he knows that, that we fall short, and he gives us his word so that we can turn from sin. And he shall put no oil on it, so I think oil is about making it more pleasant. But it's also a picture of the Holy Spirit. So I think that the picture here is that people really can turn from sin because of fear of God, because of the effect of his word. His word is effective even on unbelievers. And even those who don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. When they, when they offer it for the priest, when it's a grain offering that the priest eats, they, and they, the priest eats the rest of this, but I would think that before the priest eats it, he's going to probably add oil to it. Because you're not allowed to bake it however you want. You have to bring the flour itself for a trespass offering. But it's this picture that the word of God has this effect. And people, people respond to the word of God. And their sin is constrained by the word of God. And if their sin is constrained by the word of God, God gets the glory. And he doesn't hold them accountable to that sin. Not meaning that they're saved. But meaning that he actually gives forgiveness. The word of God is effective to constrain sin. But there's no oil on it. It's not that God doesn't use the, the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, but the person who's doing it, they're not, it's not that they have the Holy Spirit abiding in them necessarily. It's the picture of the effect of the Word of God in the world. Where most people, why does the path that leads to destruction, most people will not accept His Word for salvation, but the, His Word is still effective to cleanse. It is still effective to turn people and nations from trespasses. Nor shall he put frankincense on it. Frankincense is about putting forth a pure smoke. About, right, it means white smoke. So, it's a, so this is not a picture about a, a pure and acceptable offering. It doesn't say God smells the sweet aroma and he's pleased. But it does say he forgives the sin. And so this isn't about being pleasing to God. This is about God overlooking the offense. Not because it's ignored, like he just goes, I'm going to forget it, but because it's, there is real repentance. There is real turning. There is real recognizing the cost of sin. So it's a sin offering. It's about resolving an offense towards God. 
So then he shall bring it to the priest. So he brings a tenth of an ephah of flour because of the repentance from sin. This is still caused by the church. This is still how the church is supposed to work in the world by making the the word of God known to the culture around it. It's still through the priests. It's still people being turned from specific sins. And so the priest shall take a handful of it. So just like with the grain offering, most of it's not burned. Only a portion. A handful is burned as a memorial portion. We're to understand and remember that the reason that we know the word of God is effective is because of the sacrifice of Christ. That Jesus Christ, the word of God, became the burnt offering. He became the substitutionary atonement. That's why we can look and we can understand the word of God is effective and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we can trust it not just inside the church, but we can trust it outside the church to turn people from sin. And so he would burn it on the altar. There's a memorial that that it's because the word of God was burned on the altar that the word of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified. That we can trust that the word of God will transform the nations. It will transform our culture around us. We can trust it not just to bring people to salvation, but to constrain sin and cause people to repent of their sin. So they burn it on the altar according to the offering. So they do it <coughs> according to the, the grain offering and according to the burn offering. It would be all consumed and only the ash would be taken outside the camp and for flour there wouldn't really be ash taken out. But all of it's burned up. The word of God is effective because of the sacrifice of Christ. So it's the burnt offering made by fire to the Lord. Again, the picture of the cost of sin. Eternal hellfire. It's how the sacrifice of Christ makes it possible to be, to be separated from those wages that through our sin we've earned. So it is a sin offering. So again, it's a trespass offering. It's a it's a burnt offering, it's a sin offering, it's a grain offering. It's all these things. Because it's all about dealing with sin. It's all about dealing with an offense. It's all about being offended, offensive to God and how the world is to deal with it. So the priest shall make atonement for him, not to reconcile him with God eternally necessarily. That's the picture of the... The, the sin offering that you take the blood and you put it and you sprinkle it before the veil that's at the Holy of Holies. But it's to resolve the issue with that sin. For that sin which he has committed, for the sin that he has confessed, and that he's been working to deal with, it's a picture of Tyre when Jonah goes there. They didn't all come to, or Nineveh, they don't all come to salvation. But they all repent. They turn from their sin. So in any of these matters, in any of these sins, as I talked about last week, there were sins that John and Paul writes about to say, anybody who commits these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we shouldn't think that if you're a murderer that you can make a trespass offering. You can say, oh, the word of God said I shouldn't do that. And God will ignore the murder. But there's lots of sins in the world that God constrains. And God says, I'm not going to hold you accountable for that. But it doesn't mean that if, you don't, if you're not born again, that if you're not saved, if you don't have a new heart, a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone, there's plenty of other things God can hold you accountable to. 
But God does hold us accountable in this world. And this is about God dealing with those sins. So there's sins that can't be dealt with with the trespass offering. But God does forgive sins through the blood of Jesus. Even for those who are unbelievers, they can read his word and they can turn from that sin. And God said, I won't hold that sin against them without salvation. Shall be forgiven him. Those who confess their sin to God, make their sacrifice by submitting to his word, the sin can be forgiven. And the rest shall be the priest, right? And again, it's just like with the grain offering, the person who came to give it, they would give it and there was a blessing to them. They would receive the word. They would have the word. But the real blessing is to the priest. When we preach the word and it changes the culture around us, when we confront somebody, an unbeliever in their sin, and they turn from their sin, we're the ones who gain the most knowledge. It's through use that you're able to discern good and evil. It's through using God's word that we're supposed to do this. So the priest is the one that gets the bulk of the offering. You have a handful, and that's all you burn. The gallon goes to the priest. The person who gave it because he felt the weight of sin, that's a blessing to him, but it's a greater blessing to those who know God, to those who have been reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ, who see the effect of the word, and that causes them to glorify their God in heaven. So it's a grain offering. It's about God's word. So let me give you some applications. The first thing that we should, or the, the first application is we should recognize that we have a responsibility to be active in repentance. That's not just to say that God will, we're not supposed to just sit back and say, oh, God will cleanse my faults. I don't have to do anything. We can easily get off on one side or the other on this. We can just sit back and say, well, God will, when God convicts me of my sin, that's when I'll deal with it. That's sin. You're not allowed to ignore your sin. You have to deal with your sin. But on the other side, you can say that we can, by our own strength, cleanse us of our sins. That's also not the picture of the trespass offering. Because it is about the shedding of blood. It is about somebody else paying for those sins to be forgiven. So we should be careful to not be, to think we don't have anything to do. But we also should be really careful not to think that it's through our own strength that we do it. Galatians 3, 1 through 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, or are you now being made perfect by the flesh? When we see this, when we see the work that's supposed to be done, when we see that we have to make this trespass offering, we should never think anything other than, it is because of the work of God in my life that I'm convicted of sin, so then I go and do the works of repentance. It's not by your flesh that you're being sanctified, but in your flesh you truly repent. Those things are not contradictory to one another. But it's really important to understand the balance between those two. We do not have the right to sit back and say, I don't need to deal with sin. I don't need to look at sin in my life. I don't need to be putting death, the sin in my members. You do. But don't think when you do it, it's because of anything other than the work of the Holy Spirit. Because if you did it in the flesh, it's worthless.
Next application, if you're struggling with assurance of salvation, the answer is stop worrying about assurance of salvation and worry about obedience. Worry about repenting from your sin. The way you work out your salvation with fear and trembling is not sitting and and moping around and going, oh, am I saved or am I not saved? Go do the works of someone who's saved. Repent of your sin. Whether you're saved or not saved, the answer is the same. Repent of your sin. Deal with your sin. People, when they struggle with the assurance of salvation, they shift the focus from serving God and from making their offering about God and they make it about themselves. When you turn back to repentance, you're dealing with the issue that your sin is an offense towards God and it's about worshiping God instead of worshiping yourself. People can get way too caught up on assurance of salvation. Here's how to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Look at your life for sin and repent because it's an offense towards God. If you do that and you're not saved, guess what? That's salvation. If you do that and you are saved, guess what? That's sanctification. But it's the same process either way. Deal with your sin. Repent of your sin. People can get so caught up on assurance of salvation that they forget the basic thing. Are you a slave to sin? The way to find out is repent of your sin. And if you can't, you found out. You know where your heart is before God. And if you did, then you're no longer offensive towards God, and that's a blessing. So when we, so either way, whether it's a sin offering, you do a sin offering. If it's a trespass offering, you do a trespass offering, or you do a sin offering. Because in the end, it's the same. It's the picture of repentance. When you sin, repent. So we are to repent of our sin, and the effort that we're to put into that repentance does depend on the severity of the sin. When we think of 2 Corinthians 7, I mean, I think, you know, as, as Noel read that this morning, it's talking about very zealous and very, you know, a, a significant effort to repent of that sin. Because it was such a serious sin, they had demonstrated to the world that somebody, that a Christian could have his father's wife. It was a serious sin that needed to be repented of. And for that sin, that requires a lot of work to do restitution. There's a lot of other sins that we sin that, that all we should do is do the equivalent of an ephah of fine flour. Where it's not, we just deal with it and we move on and we ask forgiveness and we confess our sins. The picture that you have these different levels, I think, is a picture of what repentance looks like. Because everything doesn't have to be about going around and vindicating yourself. And it doesn't have to be demonstrating your zeal. Serious sins require that. Serious sins still require the trespass offering of a lamb. But there's other sins that that what's really required is just to go back to God's word and go, I was wrong. I did this. And I recognize from God's word I was wrong. And absorb God's word and move on. So as as we think about it, Repentance looks different in different situations. So God is giving these three different pictures of of the significance of what repentance is required. It's required in all cases. It's required for all sin. We actually have to confess our sin and deal with God with it. It is an offense towards God. But it does kind of matter on the sin, how much further you need to go, how many other things you need to do. 
And when we think of repentance from sin, it can go from just praying for forgiveness to making a public confession to the whole church to make sure that everybody knows. It can go to stepping down from, from activities that you're doing in the church. And so God, God does say repentance is more, significant, or more, more complicated. There's more, more levels of repentance than there is for a sin offering. For a sin offering, you have to die to yourself. You have, to be justified, you have to die to yourself. You have to be that lamb that follows after Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. Repentance to salvation has one appearance. Ongoing repentance has multiple appearances. It looks different ways to be forgiven that sin. Another application, sanctification is about remembering our continuing need for a Savior. Salvation is not about needing Christ to deliver us from eternal death and then we don't need him anymore. The picture of the trespass offering is we're always sinning in ways and so we need constant forgiveness and that comes through the blood of Christ. Continuing until we're made perfect when when corruption puts on incorruption as a second coming, when we can finally be fit to be in his presence, until then we need constant forgiveness of sins. And his offering, is his being the trespass offering, it's so that we can have that. Him being the burn offering, him being the sin offering, it's so that we can have that constant forgiveness of sin, that constant repentance that should be the pattern of the life of a Christian. Another application, we must choose to repent. No one can force anyone to repent. It's not true repentance if it's coerced. In a sense, God coerces us, right? He opens our eyes so that we see the truth of who he is and we have no choice. There is no choice when you know who God is to do anything except flee to him for, for protection. That's the only possible response. But that's not coercion. But it's easy through peer pressure, through the pressure of your parents to think it will be easier if I just repent. Don't think that repentance means that you've received atonement from God, that God has forgiven you that sin, that he's put that sin away if somebody forced you to make an offering. These offerings are all voluntary offerings. These offerings are all offerings that you have to choose. You have to say, I want to put that sin away. I see what God said about it. I want to stop. For God to not hold you accountable to that sin. Another application, Christ died to destroy the work of the devil. When those who are saved repent, they're participating in that work. We're to have an ongoing pattern of considering our sin and turning from it. Because we're to acknowledge that that's the the effect of the covenant that Jesus Christ entered into. It was to cause his people to turn and repent. And not just his people, but to actually affect the world around it. Another application, all those that are saved are priests of God. And as priests, we have a duty to facilitate other people turning from their sin. Right? When they bring all these offerings, the priests get involved. This is our job. This is what it means to be a priest. Is we're supposed to facilitate, we're supposed to facilitate the sin offering. We're supposed to preach to people that they must repent of their sins. They must turn. They must believe in Jesus Christ. 
We're also supposed to do trespass offerings. We're supposed to get people to turn from their sin. Whether a believer or an unbeliever, sin is offensive towards God. It creates an offense. That's where we are as a people, as a nation. And that's why the church is failing, because we're not, we're not telling people. They have to do trespass offerings, too. They've been an offense towards God. He will judge them for it. Another application that's an important one is, remember that God is just to forgive sin. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of the trespass offering. That it says over and over again, you turn from your sin and He'll forgive you your sin. You turn from it and there is forgiveness. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we, we need to recognize that. We need to be doing that on an ongoing basis. basis. You need to confess your sins to God and trust in Him and He will cleanse you of your unrighteousness. And the last application. We should recognize the efficacy of the Word of God. It convicts of sin, not just for believers. It causes people to turn from their sins. There's a book that I have. I know that I can find it, but it it charts everything that started happening in America when the Bible was removed from the schools. Now, when teachers read the Bibles in the school, they weren't reading it with the power of the Holy Spirit. It was like this, this fine flour that had no oil mixed with it. But as soon as the Supreme Court says you can't read it in school anymore, theft goes up, adultery goes up, fornication goes up, everything goes up. Because the Word of God actually causes repentance even in unbelievers. It causes a constraint of sin even in unbelievers. And that's important to remember. And as a weapon that we've given to destroy the works of the devil, which is the Word of God, we need to recognize that's not just for believers that we've been given the Word of God. Because it's going to, the kingdom of God is the stone that's cut without hands that will destroy all the kingdoms of the earth and make them like chaff on the threshing floor. It's without hands. We don't wield a physical sword. But we've been given a weapon that does destroy. It does destroy the works of the devil, even in unbelievers. And we need to have faith in the word of God. We need to have faith in the work of what Jesus Christ was sent to do because he was sent to destroy the works of Satan. We need to have enough faith in that to believe that his word will transform the world. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this passage as we wrestle with these things and try to understand them. We pray that you give us true and right understanding of the various pictures here. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has given us much more revelation after you gave this revelation to Moses in Leviticus. As we have all the the history of what you did to Israel and the promises that you made to the church, And what you did by becoming the sin offering, by becoming the trespass offering, by becoming the the burn offering, by being the word of God that you break into pieces so everyone consumes you. Lord, you have done all this so that the works of Satan can be destroyed. Lord, let us be faithful. Let us be faithful, Lord, to, 
to, to be willing to see the sin in our own lives so we can destroy the Satan and the works of Satan in our lives. Let us be faithful to see the sin in our own church so that we can repent of the church of the sins here. And let us be faithful to trust that your word will cause the sins in the world to be constrained. Let us have a greater faith in you and your ways. And let us recognize that that you are a God who turns people from their trespasses because they're an offense towards you. May we turn from our trespasses. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.